And before we start, if you could say your first and last name to make sure that I pronounce it right. And if you'd like to give pronouns, give pronouns. Okay, Susan Nielsen. She, her. Well, hello and welcome to Shelf Healing, UCL's bibliotherapy podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Markwick. Our guest today is Susan Nielsen. Susan started her writing career writing for popular TV series Degrassi Junior High. Since then, she has written for many Canadian TV shows and has written a whole host of award-winning books for young adults, the latest of which is Tremendous Things, which came out earlier this year. We'll chat about that later on in the podcast. The first question to get us started is nice and easy. I always say it's nice and easy. It isn't really. Do you feel that reading is therapeutic? Oh, I definitely feel reading is therapeutic. Absolutely. Especially in these, uh, you know, kind of weird, uncertain times that we're living in. Um, There's nothing like escaping into a great book, you know, just to take your mind off things and sink into a different world. Yeah, definitely. Lovely. What kind of books do you go for if, if you want to escape? Well, uh, interestingly enough, um, I, I arrived here from Vancouver, Canada on uh, Sunday um, and, and, you know, left <laughs> on the day that they were, you know, making all of these uh, Omicron announcements. Um, and um, I forgot my iPad at home. And on my iPad, I had the Lincoln Highway by a more uh, tolls, I think is how you say his last name. Really looking forward to reading it. And I left my iPad at home <clears throat> accidentally. So um, when I got here, I went into a bookstore and I bought Shuggy Bane, um, which I've just started reading. And I, I mean, everybody says it's so wonderful. And what I've read is wonderful. But I just feel like I needed something a little lighter. Um, I, I could just tell that it was also going to be, uh, you know, possibly traumatizing points, which I'm all for, but not when I'm, you know, on this uh, funny little book tour, uh, you know, during a pandemic. So um, I just wandered over to the adult section of Anderson Press, where I am, and they gave me a copy of Richard Osman's new book, um, which I almost, uh, I, I was very tempted to get at the bookstore, but of course, look how massive it is, right? And it is chunky. An <laughs> copy, so it's, um, uh, it's at least paperback, <laughs> but I just thought, well, to hell with it. I'm just going to take this and, um, you know, somehow shove it into my carry-on luggage. But I think, I think this is going to be the perfect <laughs> book for me right now. And I'll get back to Shuggy Bane when I get home. <laughs> That's that's something I think it's worth chatting about is fitting all of the books you want to read in your carry-on luggage yeah. for a long flight because if you pick lots of if you pick short books you know you're going to have to take lots of them mm. and if you take a really big book like you said starting Shaggy Bay and you've decided it was a bit heavy for reading on the plane you've got it's quite difficult to make that choice isn't it so yes it is indeed well and that's actually the one time when I will I I don't mind reading on my iPad. I still prefer a physical book, but for travel, it's great having an iPad. Yeah. Do you find the act of writing to be therapeutic? Oh, definitely. I find um, like even, you know, when I'm trying to get to sleep at night, um, I'm often thinking, and I don't, I don't mean uh, because I can't sleep because of anything that's going on. I just mean in general, um, I'm, I'm often thinking about 
uh, a scene that I'm working on or a character or the what would happen ifs. Like it's nice to have a fictional place to put some of my mental energy. <laughs> um, yeah. Before I drift to sleep and um, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, I think it's, I mean, hopefully it's like, if you have a job that you love doing, I think it's therapeutic to just have your mind um, engaged in whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah. Have you found big differences with how you write for TV and how you write for novels and sort of the therapeutic effects? Because I imagine writing for TV is much sort of more time intensive, speed, deadlines, whereas you can maybe take more time when you're writing a novel. Yeah, well, that's very true. Um, you know, a novel can take me as as long as it takes me, really. Um, whereas in the TV world, yes, we are working to deadlines. I mean, they're just so, they're very different um, because TV is also so collaborative. Um, so I'm usually working with a team of writers um, and, uh, and that, that part of it is really fun. I love, I love that collaborative nature of it. Um, I think quite honestly, um, you know, I've been lucky because during the pandemic, um, a show that I created uh, got put into production. So we've, we've shot a couple of seasons of the show and it's been a real gift because it's meant that I have been able to engage with a lot of other people, both in the writing process and then also when we've been shooting, um, as opposed to being home alone, working on a novel, which is great, but all the aspects of that you normally get as an author for socializing, like going and doing school events, going on a little book tour, um, doing a, a reading somewhere, like all of those disappeared or they moved to Zoom. <laughs> So uh, um, uh, it's been nice being back in the TV world, um, you know, over the last couple of years, for sure. So, you know, when you're sort of sat around a campfire and you're, you're sharing stories among friends and everyone, everyone has sort of a similar story that they all share and it's sort of a, a community storytelling experience. Do you find that it's similar when you're writing collaboratively for for TV or is it a little bit more just everyone's working on one idea that then gets finished? Right. Yeah. I th well, what we do, um, it's, it's a bit of both. Um, it's, it's really fun being in the room. Um, and, uh, and like I'm in charge of the room, but I'm working with, um, five or six really talented writers. And so then we'll be working out, you know, the character arcs for the season, the story arcs for the season. Um, and, um, it's very much, I have some ideas in my head for sure about where things are going. And then we just start riffing on all sorts of stuff. It's called family law. So there's also always a, a law case, um, at the center as well. Um, and so we all, um, we call it beating out the stories together. And it's really lovely because it really is a process of kind of best idea is what's going to land. And I'm not precious at all about my own ideas. Um, so that part of it is very collaborative and we'll, we'll actually like go through kind of scene by scene what we think is going to happen. But then each individual writer goes away and writes 
their outline for that particular script. So say, I'll write the outline for episode one. Sarah, one of my writers, will write the outline for episode two. Then we get back together and we talk about those outlines, um, make changes. They get sent into the producers and broadcaster. We get notes back from them. And then each individual writer goes away and writes the full script. Um, And then, you know, I'll take my own pass later on. I'll take a pass at everything. Um, But like the writers I work with are so good. I don't have to take a huge pass. So it's, it's, it's a strange blend of very, very collaborative. And then you go away and work by yourself. Was it, was it strange when you, you obviously made the transition to writing some tie-in novels to the original TV series that you wrote for? Was it strange making the jump from writing characters that you knew so well and that you'd written for in TV form? Was it difficult to make the jump from then writing your own creations in, in your middle grade and young adult fiction? Oh, like going from the TV world to the book world. Yeah, because a lot of my TV work up to that point was writing for other people's shows, right? And other people's voices, exactly. Um, which is which is really fun also. Um, but uh, um, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a transition. I, I'd known for a long time that I wanted to write a young adult novel, you know, just one. <laughs> that was my plan. Um and a character had been talking to me for quite a while. And this was Ambrose and Wordner. That was the first book that came out in, in North America. Um, and, uh, and actually, it was a period when the TV work had really dried up for a while. And I was very mopey around the house. Um, and, uh, and then one day, I just realized, you know, you're a writer. So you don't have to wait to get hired by a show or have a broadcaster greenlight your show, you can write. Like all you need is your laptop and an idea. And uh, this character had been talking to me. So that's when I started writing um, Word Nerd. Uh, and I mean, it is a very different process, of course, because it's so solitary. Um, it's incredibly gratifying because it's really you, right? It's just, that's your work until your editors get involved and then they have great ideas of making it better and thank God for them. And I just set myself a goal. I think I had a goal that I had to write four pages a day or something like that. I kept like a small goal for myself and uh, yeah. So you mentioned, you know, you wanted to write a young adult book and you've, you've written many of them now. What, what kept you coming back to that middle grade young adult fiction? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I really tried briefly to write uh, a a book for adults, so to speak. I mean, a lot of adults read my books. I really struggled with it. And I think it's because all of my books are first person. And when I can get into the head of my 12, 13, 14-year-old protagonist, um, you know, I fall in love with them, right? And I have a lot of compassion for them. I found it harder to have compassion for um, the 50-year-old woman that I was trying to write in this adult novel. It's really interesting. Um, I, think, I think that middle, you know, that kind of 12-year-old range, it's such an interesting time of life, too, where you're, you know, ev- there's so many firsts for you. 
um, you're really coming into aspects of who you'll be as an adult. Um, you know, you're learning that adult, like the your parents are fallible. Um, it's just such an interesting time of life. Um, and, and yet there's still sometimes aspects that are still a bit innocent, you know, guileless. Um, so it's just a, an age group that I really like writing for. And I think I have very acute kind of emotional memories of that time in my own life. So, yeah. Leads me on to your newest book that came out earlier this year, Tremendous Things, focuses on something that many of us have experienced, that horrifying, embarrassing horrific moment that just sticks with you and you can't stop thinking about it and it's impacting you know you can't sleep because it comes back to you at 2am in the morning and it's impacting sort of your daily life and obviously it's a middle grade book young adult so you've given this to some poor teenager there's a horrible experience <laughs> how did the idea come to you to write about something where your protagonist is dealing with that and trying to kind of overcome that awful experience that I know many people well into their adult lives will focus on something that happened to them when they were 12 or 13 that they just pops back at the most awkward, unhelpful times. Yeah, it's funny. I don't really know where the initial idea came from, but um, um, I, I, you know, fortunately, I never had anything that humiliating happen to me in high school. Um, but you know, I certainly had humiliating things happen to me in high school, but nothing that, um, stuck for years and years. Um, but I certainly did know people who did have that embarrassing thing. Um, oh my God. Yeah. Thinking of one guy in particular, mind you, I mean, I think he, he kind of deserved what he got. Um, but he, he was given the nickname <laughs> peeping Denny. This is awful. <laughs> <laughs> because more than one of us as young women um, found him like peering into our uh, windows after yeah. dark. <laughs> awful, right? I mean, it's, it's terrible. That's awful. And, no. And I mean, we kind of treated it as a joke, but then, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> which we shouldn't have. It wasn't, it wasn't a laughing matter, actually looking no. back time. I mean, I mean, he actually was harmless, even if it was super creepy. Yeah. Um, but like, like imagine like that becomes your moniker, you know, <laughs> and then he goes on in life. And, um, you know, like, I, like where he went to university, a handful of people from our high school also went to university. <gasps> so that, you know, kind of becomes your legacy for a while. Uh, so I think I, 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 I probably had had that idea for a while. And then, um, I knew I wanted to tell a story about, um, just really decent male friendship as well. Um, you know, men, men helping men, I suppose. Um, and, uh, I, I really wanted a friendship between a straight guy and a, and a, and a, a young gay man as well. Um, and, uh, and then of course, you know, Sal, who's his other best friend, who's 85. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then, you know, Wilbur is a kid who he thinks so little of himself. And, um, you know, over the course of the book, um, 
you know, with some help from his friends, um, you know, I think that he, he shows us how you can be a very strong, very courageous young man, um, but not by being a testosterone-filled jerk either, right? Mm. Um, so there, there was sort of like a whole bunch of things at work, I guess. And then I really wanted to do an exchange trip, um, <laughs> uh, you know, from Paris, because I love Paris. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really important thing to highlight as well is the fact that you've got a really brilliant male friendship that's just a fabulous friendship. Mm. That I think, like you said, it's, it's uh, people being courageous and strong without being sort of over the top testosterone filled men it's yeah. it's just people being people yeah and just how wonderful that is when it all goes right and you've got a solid foundation and a solid friend group whether that's another person of a similar age or an 85 year old old lady you know yeah. it's it's like it's the connection that matters which yeah i think it's it makes a, a very subtle yet strong point to have that in a book mm. that's that's aimed at children that age just to reiterate you know that friendships are powerful things really talking talking of powerful things powerful stories is there a piece of writing a book a tv series just a poem anything or even a non-fiction work that's profoundly affected you in your life do you think well um probably quite a few um i'm a big fan of david sedaris um yeah yeah. And, uh, you know, he's nonfiction for the most part. Um, and what I love about his writing is, you know, first of all, that he, he exposes the worst in all of us um, and our horrible inner thoughts, um, which I think I, you know, I, I do some of that in my books, of course, because it's first person narrative, you're getting all of their thoughts. Um, and I just I love the way that he can make you laugh and cry practically within one paragraph um, and then, I mean, other books, I mean, there's so many books that I've just, um, loved over the course of my lifetime. I, I wouldn't say, you know, I can't compare myself to these people because I think, you know, they're, they're so, they're uber talents, but, you know, a, a book that I really loved in the past five years was, um, A Gentleman in Moscow, um, by Immortals. And, uh, um, I just thought again how um, he took such an unlikely scenario and wrote these beautiful characters who were actually in some harsh circumstances. Um, but, and there's humor. I love books that also have humor. I love books that can imbue even sad things with humor. Um, gosh, I mean... Ann Patchett's Bel Canto was another one that um, uh, really kind of rocked my world. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I read all the time. So, um, Is there a specific place that you read? Are you a read in bed kind of person or are you a read every... I'm a read in bed kind of person for sure. Yeah. And then also like read on the couch in the middle of the day and possibly close my eyes for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. Are there any books that you return to over and over again, like uh, a comfort book? Really? I think 
because um, there's just so much to read. So I've sometimes thought about, oh, I should go reread that book. Um, but then I think, yeah, but then I've got that stack of books that I have never read um, beside my, you know, sitting on my bedside table. Um, <laughs> once in a blue moon, I have started reading a book that I thought I hadn't read, gotten about a third of the way through and thought, wait a second, why do I know every single thing that's going to happen in this story? <laughs> I have read this before. <laughs> so sometimes that happens. Uh, but uh, no, it's interesting. One, I'll tell you one book I did um, reread after like decades, um, Harriet the Spy, which I don't think was as big a hit over here as it was in North America, Louise Fitzhugh. Um, but that was a middle grade book when I was growing up. Um, and, uh, and, and it was a really unique female protagonist who was not a girly girl. She wanted to be a journalist when she grew up. She was kind of mean, said mean things about her friends in her journal, which then gets discovered. Um, and they had the 25 year anniversary of the book, I think it was. And, um, and I reread that and I was actually amazed and possibly slightly embarrassed just at how much she had influenced my writing. And I hadn't realized that. I'll tell you somebody else who influenced my writing. And I was at a school this morning um, here in London. And a, and a boy said to me afterwards, he said, oh, you're, you're, what you read from your book, it reminded me a little bit of like the secret diary of Adrian Mole. And I said, you know, you're absolutely right. Because I love Sue Townsend and I love those books. So, um yeah. So she's another one. Actually, she would have been an influence too. I need to remember to, to think about Sue Townsend because those books were amazing, you know? Yeah. I always love the little random doodles that were in them as well. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think kids books have a, particularly the, the middle grade young adult, uh, they have a really solid chance that they will stay with people forever. Um, you're sat in a room at the minute with Elmer behind you, which is obviously aimed at much younger kids. But as soon as as soon as the camera turned on and I saw Elmer, I instantly had like lovely memories of Elmer, just from seeing all the little elephants everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up with Elmer. We didn't have Elmer in North. Africa. <gasps> yeah. What? No, you missed out. I know. Elmer's fabulous. Yeah. Elmer, the patchwork elephant. Yeah. No, it's amazing all the stuff they've got back here too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you said, like you said, your your books that you write, obviously they're young adult, middle grade fiction. They're written in the first person, and obviously that's in very stark contrast to your TV writing, where obviously you're you're writing for people to externally see characters, mm -hmm. and you've kind of gone from kid stuff all the way through to kind of your adult. TV is it is it a weird mind shift you have to go through when you kind of sit down to write something for TV compared to having that ability to explore the internal thoughts of your characters in the novel or do you feel like you can do that in both just in different ways it's really that's a great question um certainly what I loved when I started writing the books was that I could go into the you know internal world of the characters um and delve more into that and as you say you know tv is a very different beast 
Um, I feel like in this show, which, you know, I hope, I hope will come to the UK one day. Um, they've been selling it to different markets, but I don't think it's sold to the UK yet. Um, uh, you know, I was, I've been so blessed, um, by the actors who, who we cast, um, because, um, uh, especially our lead actress, uh, Jewel State, um, she is able to give you a lot of her internal monologue with just a look. Um, and it's quite amazing. So I will sometimes write things in, in the scene description. If I feel I want to make sure that somebody knows, like, I don't know uh, what would be an example, like, um, um, you know, a character says, oh yeah, I'm fine. And then the scene description might be, she's not. Yeah. You know, um, and, and uh, you know, if you've got uh, great actors, which, you know, obviously here in the UK, you've got tons of them. Um, it's amazing how they can play a lot of that stuff. Um, so I don't miss not having to, you know, not being able to necessarily write gobs and gobs. You have to be much more efficient um, in, the, in the TV world. And every, every single scene has to count, right? Um, but I think with both genres, I've learned valuable lessons that have helped in both. So I think my TV writing really helped me with my novel writing because um, I don't have a lot of flab in my books. You know, you're not going to read one chapter that's just boring description of something like everything kind of keeps the momentum moving forward. Um, even if I am allowed to pause to go into internal stuff, it's still moving the story forward. Um, I think I can write snappy dialogue. Um, I know how to write to chapter endings that make you want to hopefully start the next chapter right away. Um, because, of course, all of those things you learn in TV, like you've got to write to your act break so people will come back after the commercial, even though, you know, now a lot of stuff doesn't have commercials. But so I think and then I think my novel writing, honestly, I think it helped me to write more nuanced characters with my new show. Um, so, yeah, it's been fun doing both. Yeah. I um I did screenwriting at university for a year, which oh, was thrilling. Yeah. Good stuff. And it, like you say, it's you have to rely on the actors a lot if you're going to put those little scene notes in, because it, yeah. it doesn't work for everyone. Because obviously, everyone acts slightly differently, and every story is different. Absolutely, yeah. And and I mean, you know, there really, I do kind of believe that you know, there's usually only. Yeah, like there's that one person who's exactly right for the role. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. And it can go, there's so many ways in TV that it can go sideways. You know, if you don't get the absolute right person for the different roles, um, if you, uh, I don't know, don't have a great cinematographer or a great director, or like, I think there's so many ways it can go sideways. Whereas a book, you know, if you're going to blame anybody, like it's, well, it's kind of the author, right? Like. <laughs> love or hate the book it's like well yeah kind of on me right yeah <laughs> now obviously the other big difference that a lot of people have in the way they write things is the plan everything 
all the way out. And then the, the pantsers who just write by the seat of their pants and make it up as they go along. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to guess, and I may be wrong, but from all of your TV writing where, you know, everything's planned, season arcs, episode arcs, character arcs are all planned out kind of right from the beginning, that you may be a plan everything kind of writer when it comes to novels as opposed to a, a pantser or... Well, interestingly, the, I mean, the first part of your statement was correct, and the second part was not. As I think because of all the planning that I've had to do in TV, I'm a pantser. <gasps> Exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, like I might have a general idea, obviously, of where I think things are going, but then I really just start writing. Um, because I feel like if I planned everything out, it would oddly kill some of the process, you know? Um, and, and kill the chances for things to take a different direction. And uh, so um, I like to have the freedom to see where the characters might decide to take me and where I might go off on a tangent for a while, you know. Um, and sometimes they've taken me in a different direction than I anticipated. Um, so, yeah, I'm more of a, a pantser. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did not expect that. I just expected the the drilled organization of the of the writer's room to come with you into the the novelist's room. Yeah. Oh. It did not. <laughs> it did not. <laughs> I feel like you've covered literally everything. You're a pantser, you're also a planned person, you write first person, you're also writing for TV. It's like you've you've tried a bit of everything and just <laughs> Fingers in all of the different types of writing pies. Well, mm. anyway, yes, yeah. Well, and I think if you're, you know, like trying to actually build a career in this field, sometimes it's it's good to be able to do more than one thing if you can. So, Now, trickiest question of all time. If you could suggest a book that you think people may enjoy, any book at all, it can be, it doesn't even have to be a fiction book. It could be poetry. It could be nonfiction. It could be a screenplay. It could be anything you like that you think people might enjoy that will, I don't know, maybe make them laugh or be a good escape for them. What would it be? Okay. Well, I don't want to repeat myself because otherwise I would probably Gentleman in Moscow um, by Amor Tolls. But another book that blew me away in the last couple of years was um, Girl, Woman, Other by Bernardine Evaristo, who co-won the booker with our very own Margaret Atwood, um, whom I also love. Um, but, you know, so I, and I, I'll be honest, I picked it up a bit reluctantly because I didn't, I didn't love the title. I thought, well, what is this going to be like? I don't know. And um, dang, she's, I mean, she's such a good writer and um, it's just got all the things it's, and it's got some humor. It's got uh, incredible depth. I felt like I stepped into worlds, like I was walking in other people's shoes, you know, who aren't my background, um, but who I could completely empathize with and sympathize with. And, uh, you know, she, 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 that book did, what the best books do, I think, right? Which is also allows you to have to have a window into somebody else's world, right? Um, and uh, yeah, anyway, I just, I thought it was a tremendous book. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's great. It really is. I was very, I was very upset when there was a dual winner of the booker, and then I looked at the books and I was like, oh, I can see how hard that must have been to <laughs> pick one over the other. Must have been I would not have wanted to be in that jury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is fantastic. I'm going to put all of the books of the authors and everything in the show notes so the listeners can find them, uh, along with links to your website and to your new book and your old books. And if you're on Twitter, on your Twitter as well, definitely Paul's Twitter because I know his Twitter because that's how we managed to get this happening. I love Twitter. Twitter's so helpful for things like this. Oh, um, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. It's been fabulous. I've enjoyed chatting with you too, Rebecca. Thank you very much. Brilliant. I had a really fun time chatting with Susan all about her new books, her writing style, her really awesome, cool new TV show, Family Law with Jewel State. And I cannot tell you how amazing the room that Susan was sat in was it was just Elma everywhere and I love Elma so much anyway I highly recommend you read Susan's books they are great thanks as always to Nicholas Patrick for our music and to Nat Bolsh for our transcripts do check us out on Twitter at shelf underscore healing <laughs>